I'll be reading this morning from Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer of the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mehujiel, and Mehujiel fathered Methusel, and Methusel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zilah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, he was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zilah also bore Tublacain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tublacain was Nama. Lemek said to his wives, Adah and Zilah, hear my voice. You wives of Lemek, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lemech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. 
To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. This is God's word to us today. Well, we turn our attention to chapter 4. Last week, we looked at chapter 3, and as we begin, I wish to ask us this question. Does what you believe about God really matter? Does what you believe about God really matter? The Russian novelist Dostoevsky said that to not believe in God was to be condemned to a senseless universe. But apparently all did not agree, including Marx and Nietzsche and Freud, some of the most revered minds and influential social philosophers of the 19th and 20th centuries, which by the way, all of them were atheists. In his book, Kingdoms in Conflict, Chuck Colson mentions how these men finished their lives and how their philosophies failed to serve them in the end. He says this, Marx, Nietzsche, and Freud, near the end of their lives, were all bitter, lonely men. Nietzsche's insanity was due to despair of having no purpose. Freud could not be comforted after his daughter's death, and Marx was consumed with hatred. All these men were simply reaping the logical consequence of their own philosophies. And I would add, especially their philosophy about God. Cain in our story today also had his own philosophy, as did Abel. And all of us this morning have a philosophy about God. Genesis asks us nearly the same question, but I think in a much more helpful and instructive way. And it says this, how can a person please God? How can a person's worship really be acceptable to God? At the deepest level, these are really questions about faith aren't they? The deepest level, they challenge us because they ask us, what do we believe about God? And what we believe about God really defines our eternity. Therefore, the answer to these questions, how can a person be accepted by God? How can a person's worship be pleasing to God? are far more significant than just a philosophical or social question because these questions have eternal consequences. These questions are critical, as are their answers, and fortunately, Genesis not only asks the questions, but it gives us answers, gives us answers. As a backdrop to our text, Recall that in chapter 3, it showed us how sin and consequences entered the world. As Eve took the fruit from the serpent and ate, we witnessed the impact of corruption. 
Separation between Adam and God, between man and God. Separation between man and wife. Separation and corruption between man and his environment. Pain, shame, and difficulty enter into the relationship between Adam and Eve. The separation between Adam and God is typified by God's question, Adam, where are you? And Adam would now work the ground for the rest of his life in pain. Interesting to me as I was studying the parallels between chapter 3 and chapter 4. I'd never seen, but there are remarkable parallels. As you look at chapter 4, it begins with the birth of Cain and Abel. It moves at time warp speed to their vocations, obviously skipping much detail. And it slows, slows down at a certain time, and it focuses on their worship. Or I should say, better, the differences in their worship. Cain and Abel were brothers of the same era, certainly brothers from the same parents, raised under the same religious instructions. And yet their hearts were set in different directions. Their lives typify the contrast between two kingdoms. And as sin has come into the world, there are two kingdoms. Kingdom of God and kingdom of man. The kingdom of God's agenda and so oftentimes the kingdom of our agenda. It's a tension. It's a tension between holy living and sinful living. And it's a tension that not only Cain and Abel faced, but you and I face. And at the high point of the story comes as we see Cain's offering and rejection of his offering. So we read in verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain, his offering had no regard. God accepted and respected Abel's offering of worship. But for Cain's, he had no regard. And the question that we must ask is, why? Why? Why does God reject one sacrifice and accept the other? I mean, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Both of them brought Offerings that under the Levitical order are both accepted. Why does God reject one? Why does he accept the other? And then why does God go on this diatribe about sin? Why does he talk about sin mastering him? Why does he talk about sin being crouched as if an animal to attack? I mean, after all, wasn't this just a simple, standard, routine daily offering of duty of worship? And the answer to that question is, sadly, yes. The answer is, it was duty. And that's the problem. At the center and core of worship at any time and for the people of God is our heart. At the center of worship, 
must be our heart. And at the center and core of our heart, there must be faith. I'd submit to you that the main thrust, the main point of chapter 4, and there is a lot in it, and unless we have three hours today, I'm not going to even touch all of it, but the main thrust of chapter 4 is that worship pleasing to God requires faith. Worship pleasing to God requires faith. Hebrews 11.6, which I'm sure many of you know, says, without faith... It is difficult to, no, without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's impossible to please God. We're required to have faith. So if you look carefully at the wording of the text in verses 3 and 4, it says this. Cain brought an offering, that is some of the fruit, but Abel bought, brought the firstborn, and they're fat. For Cain, there's no indication of sacrifice. There's no indication that he brought the first or the best, or even had really any importance surrounding his sacrifice. For Abel, however, the Hebrew wording, as I looked into it, talks about an elaborate offering. It puts stress, it stresses that Abel went out of his way to please God. Abel chose the pick of his flock. One commentator states that while Abel went out of his way to please God, Cain simply sought to discharge a duty. John Calvin says that Abel's sacrifice was presented with faith. Cain's was not. Cain's was simply the sin of token worship, token worship. Friends, if you hear nothing else this morning, please hear this, that worship pleasing to God requires faith. Our worship to be pleasing to God requires faith. So if worship pleasing to God requires faith, what does that look like? What does it consist of? What does it require of me? What does it require of you? And as we look at chapter four, I believe it shows us at least three characteristics, which will be my three points. And those are this. First of all, faith recognizes the judgment of God. Faith clings to the mercy of God. And faith hopes in the promises of God. Faith recognizes the judgment of God, faith clings to the mercy of God, and faith hopes in the promises of God. So firstly, faith recognizes the judgment of God. As we see in chapter 3, there's a downward spiral of sin. It affects all of life. Genesis 4 continues with that. It's like a news documentary bringing in chaos, conflict, Consequences of sin. Friends, as a preacher and a pastor, <clears throat> I hear from time to time, all you guys talk about is sin and judgment. Well, I agree that sin and judgment is hard to talk about. It's hard to hear. I'd much rather talk about grace and mercy all the time. 
which we do. But judgment and sin are real topics, and they need real answers. And they are unapologetically displayed for us in this scripture. And so to be faithful to scripture, we must preach the whole counsel of God. Moreover, to talk about judgment and sin is not a bad thing. We need to be pointed to God. We need a Savior. And by the way, I believe we do a disservice by saying that the problems in our society simply come from poor upbringing or environmental causes or poor educational systems. While there's no doubt those things influence and contribute, even if we had a perfect world, it wouldn't fix it all. Friends, Adam and Eve were in a perfect world. They had a perfect environment. Everything was perfect, unimaginably. They had a perfect, loving, supplying Heavenly Father. And they still sinned. One of their sons went rogue, developing an entire lineage and heritage of people who left God. The judgment of God is meant to instruct us. It's meant to help us. It's meant to motivate us. And it's meant to strengthen our faith. So we embrace it. In our story, Cain is the main example. He's the main character. But he becomes the negative character. He's committed sin for which he is being judged. His Negative sin focuses on his offering of worship. And it's interesting that his offering of worship is the first recorded offering of worship in the Old Testament. Pretty precedent setting. But Cain's offering is much more about convenience and formality than it is about heartfelt trust in God. He's going through the motions. There's no awareness of the judgment of God. There's no expression of humility before God. No expression of remorse even after God confronts him. It's interesting that the word used for God's rejection of him is a word that means God paid no attention. God turned his eyes away from the offering or diverted his gaze. God diverted his gaze from Cain. What a sad statement. I don't want that to be said of me. I want God to look with favor on me. Isaiah 66.2 says of God, one of my favorite scriptures, perhaps one of my favorite, perhaps my favorite, But this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. This is the one 
to whom God looks. He who is humble and contrite and trembles at his word. There's a reason why it says trembles at his word. Friends, we must be careful that as we come on Sunday morning, that we properly posture our hearts. That we don't do it as a formality. It is easy to get into routine. It is good to have routine. But as we come on Sunday morning, we're coming more than just to discharge a duty. We are coming together to meet with a glorious creator, an imaginably magnificent God. We come this morning, we share that together. There is a unique experience, folks, as we come together. That's not because we have somehow can constructed a service where um, God just is obligated to come. There's something unique as we gather as the church of God because God promises that he will be here among us. So as we gather together, the glorious good news is that by his spirit, he is here. He is here among us now. God is in this place. God is walking among us by his spirit, speaking to our hearts. He's doing that right now. God is here. As we gather together, there is something unique as we meet as the family of God. As we come together, we dare not come tritely. We dare not come arrogantly. We come humbly with praise and worship. And not just on Sunday morning, but on Monday morning as well. And also on Friday night and Saturday night. All of life is to be worship. Our lives are to be a testimony to God. It's curious that God inquires of Cain, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Remember, he asked Adam a question. Where are you? As if God didn't know. I hope we see the parallel. Because I hope that we see that this question, as was to Adam, is a loving correction of a father who's seeking to help his son loving correction of a father who's seeking to point out to Cain the source of his anger and the source of his sin. James tells us, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Cain was angry. His angry was not righteous anger. His anger was self-righteous anger. 
because he was not getting what he wanted. So God brings Cain's issue of anger to the table. And friends, this is not a seminar about anger. But just in passing, left unchecked, our, um, like Cain, our attitudes and our actions of anger can lead to chaos, but worse, the dishonoring of God. Perhaps you're here this morning and you are angry. I mean, let's be honest, there are things that really irritate us and tick us off. Perhaps like Cain, we should be asked, why are you angry? Now, there are things that ought make us angry, like injustice, like racism, like child abuse, and most of all, the mocking of God. But there are things for which anger is not appropriate, and the Bible calls it sin. Perhaps you didn't get the attention or response from someone that you thought you were due. Perhaps you didn't get the grade from a teacher that you thought you deserved, or the praise from a boss, or the financial reward from a company that you thought you were owed, or perhaps for the umpteenth time, the circumstances in your kingdom have required that you fix or clean or repair or change the diaper again for the umpteenth time and nobody's ever going to notice and you are angry. Friends, I'm not saying that we shouldn't get angry, but what I am saying is that we need to check our anger and to say it in the words of the Lord, Matthew 5:22 says, but I say to you, Everyone who is angry with his brother, and some manuscripts say without just cause, is liable to judgment. Serious words. The Lord said that to his disciples. And God speaks to Cain about his anger. And he continues then with a sober warning in verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, almost as if it is, has its own life and personality. But you must rule over it. You must rule over it. God had personally warned Cain. God came to him. He said, do what's right or sin will master you. But if you do what's right, you will master sin. God warned Cain, pursue what's wrong and you're toast. Friends, there's two kingdoms and they vie for our attention, they vie for our allegiance every day. Which kingdom are you living for? Which one will you serve? No decision is a decision. First John says it this way. 
No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteous, righteousness is righteous, as he, the Lord, is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Cain failed to heed God's warning. But friends, unbelief always disregards the judgment of God. Unbelief disregards the judgment of God. Cain continued in his anger and in his passion. And that anger, unchecked, unbridled, unsubmitted to the government of God, drove Cain to rise up and commit fratricide the killing of his brother. Even after being personally warned by God, it led to shedding of innocent blood. Friends, that's true in Cain's day, and it's true 4,000 years later. Anger unbridled, unsubmitted to God, causes us to kill one another. Maybe not physically, but certainly in our thoughts and in our hearts. And as it enters our thoughts and hearts, left unchecked, it always leads to destruction and catastrophe. We see it in domestic fracture, cultural disarray, civil injustice, genocide. A life without faith leads to chaos. In contrast to Cain, we have Abel's life. We're called to imitate Abel. I think it's noteworthy for me that Abel made it to the hall of fame, as I like to say it, which is in the scripture of Hebrews 11. That's right. Hebrews 11:4 says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith he died, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Abel's offering was accepted. He was commended by God. His worship was brought in faith, and by the way, that faith cost him his life. It's interesting that Hebrew says, Abel died, but he still speaks. Abel died, but he still speaks. I believe that one of the things he's still saying is that our worship must have faith and it's a faith that flees sin, even if it costs us. And even if it costs us our life. Abel understood the judgment of God. He understood the consequences of sin. And his faith was informed by that understanding. Because faith, pleasing to God, recognizes God's judgment. 
Point number two, and points two and three are going to be shorter than the first. Faith clings to the mercy of God. So point one, faith recognizes God's judgment. Point two, faith clings to the mercy of God. Well, Genesis 4 speaks about the judgment of sin. It also declares the mercy of God. Cain had committed capital murder on his brother, and he lived to tell about it. As I was reading through that, I had a little difficulty reading that. That's not what I would have done with Cain. Moreover, he then enters into conversation with God where he speaks callously. What's up with that? When God questions Cain about his action, Cain's response is to be silent. Doesn't respond. And eventually when he speaks, his response is insolent. And he's complaining about the punishment that God is meeting out to him. And then later, Cain receives from God a covering, just like Adam and Eve. The covering for him was a mark, some type of mark. It protected him from the suffering of the sin that he committed. God eventually allows him to get married, to have a family, and from worldly perspective, be very, very successful as he developed culture and arts and cities and medicine. And friends, the impact of this story upon the original readers of the mercy of God would have been mammoth. God's mercy was shown here upon Cain. Well, friends, it also ought to have impact upon us, especially in light of the cross. It's curious in verse 10 what God says to Cain. Verse 10 says, The voice of your brother, brother's blood, is crying to me from the ground. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now, we don't typically talk like that with one another. Now, I'm not positive that blood can't speak audibly. But in all my own cuts, and as a science teacher, all my dissections, I've never heard blood speak. But I am positive that blood has a divine language, and I know God understands it. God understands what that says. And Abel's blood is speaking a language, and that language is judgment. Abel's blood declares judgment. To Cain and to all who die without faith and mercy in the trust of God. Abel's blood cries judgment to all who have ever sinned, in fact. God says Abel's blood's crying out to him. But as we talked about this morning, thanks be to God that that's not the only blood that's speaking. Amen? Thanks be to God that's not the only blood speaking. Thanks be to God that there's another blood that speaks far louder and better. 
Friends, in Christ we don't stand under the judgment of God. We stand under his mercy. We don't stand under the judgment of God. We stand under his mercy. That's good news. That's good news. So as I'm driving home last night after preparing, and there's no one on the road, and it's dark, and I'm thinking about my message, this thought comes over me. I wonder what the judgment of God is like. And I thought about passages in Scripture, and it was not a pleasant thought. And I thought, my, I thought to myself this, in reality, no one can stand under the judgment of God. I don't care how rich or powerful or educated or sophisticated you are. Outside of Christ, under the judgment of God, you cannot stand. The judgment of God is serious. But friends, we don't stand under the judgment of God. We stand under the mercy of God. We don't face condemnation of Abel's blood. We surrender and experience the forgiveness of Christ. That's good news. Hebrews 12, 18 says this. And Matthew was trying to steal my thunder this morning. I know it. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. That speaks about the judgment of God. And verse 24 says, but you've come to Jesus. You've come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, there's a language of blood God understands. The language of Christ speaks a better word. It's a better word than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cries injustice. The blood of Christ declares justice. Good news. Abel's blood cries condemn. Christ's blood declares pardon. Abel's blood cries judgment. Christ's blood decries mercy. Christ's blood speaks a better word. The word is mercy. And a faith honoring to God clings to the mercy of God. So are you clinging to the mercy of God this morning? Are you clinging to the mercy of God? If you are, then you're doing what's said for us in 1 John. We should not be like Cain. I didn't know all these scriptures were all in the New Testament. It was exciting, talking about Adam, excuse me, Cain and Abel. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Don't be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know that he laid down his life for us, 
We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Friends, we know that we are clinging to the mercy of God as we love one another. So faith recognizes the judgment of God. Faith clings to the mercy of God. And finally, point three, faith hopes in the promises of God. Faith hopes in the promises of God. The promise of God to us was as it is to Cain, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Abel offered his worship in faith. He was rewarded for his faith, though it cost him his life. Cain rejected the promise and offered worship without faith and was rejected by God. Friends, the book of Romans tells us that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We must remember that the key to growing our faith is not focusing on faith. The key to growing our faith is focusing on the word of God, focusing on and trusting the promises of God. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Friends, if you need a promise to look to this morning, look to Christ. Look to Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Look to his promises. He signed promises to us with his life, with his covenant blood. Faith clings to the promises of God. Christ is the guarantor of those promises. Are you doing 12, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 this morning? Are you running with endurance? Are you looking to Jesus? Friends, as I close, each of us gets beaten down. We struggle with temptation and sin. It takes a toll on us. It lies to us. It draws us in. It rips us off. It attacks our faith. When our faith is lacking, we forget about the consequences of sin and judgment, don't we? We lose sight of the mercy of God. We fail to call on God. And we fail to hope in his promises. So let me ask you this morning as we close, how is your faith? Is your worship filled with faith? Perhaps it would be better to ask it this way. What's occupying your concerns? What's occupying your worries? Where's your focus? Are you gripped by guilt? Are you gripped by worry? Or perhaps... Are you gripped by the lure of some sin or temptation or pleasure for which God would say to you this morning, like Cain, that sin is at your door. It's crouched and it seeks to master you. Each of us deals with sin, temptation, 
the conflict of two kingdoms. They promise us their reward, but only one is true. Each of us is called to master sin. Each of us is called to give worship to God that is full of faith. And friends, that is possible. It's possible because we serve a Savior who loves to give faith. He loves to give faith. He's able to do that. He loves to help those who will humbly ask him. So you're here this morning and perhaps you would say, I want greater faith. But in reality, my heart's cold. Perhaps you would say, I want to cling to the mercy of God. I want to hope in the promise of God. But if I were honest, I'd say, I'm out of gas. I don't have that. Perhaps you would say, I am facing sin and temptation for which I don't think I can overcome. I need help. Let me encourage you this morning, if any of that relates to you, don't leave here without somebody praying for you. Friends, when we pray for one another in faith, what we are doing is we are taking one another before the throne of God where we can find mercy and help in time of need. Don't leave here without asking somebody to pray for you. Jesus said, come to me all who are weak and burdened and I will give you rest. He seeks to help us. He seeks seeks to strengthen our faith. He loves us. Let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, thank you that as we sit here this morning, there is a louder voice than the voice of Abel. There's the voice of Christ, and his blood speaks a better word over us. Lord, we do ask that our faith would be pleasing to you. We ask that our worship would be filled with faith. So, Lord, we come now. We offer to you our lives. We choose to believe your promise for your name's sake. Amen.